So uh, we're actually recording this. I know this is going to be released weeks later, but we're recording this the day before Valentine's Day. Oh, <laughs> you just reminded me. I have to go get a Valentine's gift for somebody from a gas station on the way home. Oh, you're terrible. Okay, so. <laughs> from a gas station? From a gas station. There are better options that That's are all about. Okay, well, windshield fluid, uh, wipers. Uh, it doesn't matter wipers. if you put a bow on it. But the point is, um, have you. I know the answer for Terry, but Dan, have you ever, ever, ever had a romantic interest in a game? Has your or like a character that's had a romantic interest? Like Terry, Terry went through a courting and and a marriage mm-hmm. and um, had baby. But growing <laughs> up, I played with a uh, a lot more awkward group of guys than anything else. Playing so Dungeons like, and Dragons. Don't sit there and lie to me, Dan. No. <laughs> so when it came to that stuff, it was just kind of hand-waved because you didn't want to, you know, flirt with your friend across the table. <laughs> Terry and I have had some amazing conversations. I'm well aware of the conversations you two have had. We've had Th- many of to black. So, um, yes, I have had romantic, interesting games. Just to answer that question, um, I now that I'm grown up a little bit more, they've become a little bit more story-driven aspects of mm-hmm. character. Like, uh, Rezu had his thing with... He had a couple of wives. He had a right? couple of wives in the past, and then... Like a divorce? Did you have a D&D divorce? I, I he got... Uh, so one... There was it, a D&D murder. The he had three wives, and I went off the uh, Henry VIII thing, so it was divorce, uh, divorce murder, killed. Love or whatever it. it was. Love it. Um, so I divorced one, one was murdered, and then I killed one. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy, Happy Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. Um, so anyways, uh, today, Valentine's Day aside, I want to talk about player knowledge versus character knowledge. All right? Sure. Cool. Sure. Let's run the intro. Welcome to It's a Mimic with your DMs, Adam, Dan, and Terry. All right, guys, welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast. I am DM Dan. Across from me is Adam, and to my left is Terry. Hello. Uh, Today we're talking about player knowledge versus character knowledge. Uh, This is the second part of our three-part coverage of the Pillars of Dungeons & Dragons. It's really part eight. It is kind of part eight. It's episode eight, so yes, it's part eight, but it's the second part of the third part of the part of... Nine. I am confused. Math, go on. math is hard. Um, anyways, so I wanted to talk today about uh, player versus character and how to pull yourself away from yourself and really embody your character to... Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> just, just keep pulling if yourself. If you don't have a Valentine this year, <laughs> we're going to teach you how to pull yourself away from yourself. Play a character. I'll take I'll take the heat for that, Dan. Anytime I feel like you're going down with reputation on the internet, I'll dive all over this that. This is the wrong like, kind of role playing. This is coming from the guy who started off episode one with "This is three DMs coming in your ear," and I stand by that. <laughs> oh my goodness! So I, I don't stand by it. I, I want out of the flash zone. So guys, what the? I'm trying to okay, do a thing. Okay, all right, okay. you go. I'm trying sorry, to do a thing. Sorry. So I want to first cover what a player knows at the table. Um, and this is going to vary wildly based off of your experience with the game and uh, um, how you're coming into it and what you're kind of, how you even play it, even down to how you guys roll the dice. This is all going to change person to person. So it's such a broad spectrum. I want to focus more a little bit on the character side because applying that player stuff to character is kind of what I'm talking about today. Mm-hmm. You with me? Yeah, yep. we're with you. Cool. So uh, your character knows. 
And what he knows. This is going to be based off of one of three things. It's either going to be based off your uh, mental scores, mm-hmm. um, what his backstory or her backstory is, and uh, what his experience has brought him up to this point uh, within the game. Okay? And then applying that within. So... You're grinning at me. Oh, uh, no, I'm still laughing about the pulling yourself away from yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying so hard to keep it together. Yeah, no, yeah, me too. Um, so, guys, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask, when is it okay for you to apply knowledge that you come to as a player to your character um, when you're at the table and playing them? When is it okay to metagame? I'm ready to go. If you're ready. Okay, let's roll it. All right. Oh, oh Dan and I both rolled 18s to find out who goes I first. I am always la- Somebody out there on the internet, record how many times I am last. Always. You know, I rolled answer. an 18 against Dan, and then on the re-roll, I rolled a 5, which is what you got as well. So, so does that mean we have to re-roll that, now? No, 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 no. Because no, Dan Oh, because you guys were yeah. first. So, yeah. I'm going second. So, uh, I'm still last. You said, the, you said the magic word. What did I say? You said metagaming. Oh, and, and, and that's kind of what I wanted to cover. Okay. So... I'm going to set a scenario. You're across the table with all your friends, and you are in an encounter in a cave, and there's a floating skeleton making its way down the hall towards you. Okay. You as a player, you know what's going on here. Yeah, this is a gelatinous cube. Yeah, it's a gelatinous no, cube. No, always depends who you are. If you played D&D for 25 years, you might know what's going it, on. It could be a floating skeleton. I'd like to let hall, you guys know that 75% of the time, I legitimately do not know what's going on when we play this game. <laughs> it's a skeleton on a kite. That's what's <laughs> yeah. happening. There's so many times... Hot air balloons. When Dan's going, oh, it's one of these. And I'm like, what? I don't... What? What's happening? Oh, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at this, which is why I think we've kind of lined it up and the fates have chosen for me to run this episode. Um, is because it was a meta decision. It's almost like it was a meta decision. Um, applying your character knowledge at the table, you want to try as a player to withhold anything that might be a leap of logic, might be a leap of uh, knowledge to your character and your character's decisions. So you need to rely more on things like your intel, your knowledges, and everything else in character to make sure your character knows things. So, for example. Sorry, just to cut in. For yeah, example, no when you see that floating skeleton coming down the hallway, you're, you are not sitting there going, oh, hey, it's a magic skeleton like your character would. You think it's a gelatinous cube. This is the kind of weapon, the kind of damage that I need yeah. to be able to Everyone do. keeps it's range. What? Is that what concerned. it was? Yeah. So, <laughs> but that is player knowledge. The yeah. character's knowledge is, oh, look, it's a floating skeleton. Exactly. Right? And yeah. so the character will be caught unaware. However, the player won't be. So there and is that's, a that's certain, a hard mix to do in the game. There's a certain suspension of disbelief that you have to be able to apply, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, in acting, they call it you know staying in character and and knowing what your character's uh, motivations yeah. are right. So 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 there, there's kind of three things I and this is why we roll the dice. I want to know when it's kind of okay mm-hmm. to to apply that player knowledge to a character. Um, so Adam, go ahead. I guess um, when I'm a player. Uh, first and foremost, I want to say that the D&D community, especially the online community, frowns hard on the even the mention of metagaming. Yeah. Nobody wants you to be thinking outside of what your character knows already. However, there are times when you are taking these leaps in logic where it's it's okay to be able to kind of think outside the box a little bit. For example, if I am a bard and I am in a party with a fighter and a barbarian, these classes don't exist in the real world of Dungeons and Dragons, right? We are not walking in as a bard, a fighter, 
and a barbarian. We're walking in as maybe a minstrel and a soldier and a tribesman. Or however you reskin it. They don't yeah. think about it based on the class leveling up system and whatnot. However, I would instinctively know right from the bat that I'm going to stay in the back of the party. Because these are two beefy guys. Because they're a fighter and a barbarian with more hit points. Yeah. Okay, so they have more hit points than I do. My character doesn't think in the realm of hit points, but they do think in the realm of beefiness. They do think in, in the realm of safety. How many times have you guys been sitting at a table and during an in-character conversation, someone says, well, when we level up next? Oh, yeah, all, all, <laughs> all the time. The time. <laughs> but, but this is another example of when I think that it's okay because your characters aren't going to be sitting there in the middle of a conversation in a dungeon saying, oh, God, I wish I was at third level because then I would get access to this spell. Like, they're not doing that. However, what they are doing is understanding that they're gaining more experience as explorers mm. and as, as adventurers. And they would instinctively know by level 15 that they are not the same character they were at level 1 and that there's been an evolution, a growth here, yeah. and they will, in theory, continue to grow. All right. There are some things they'd be able to look at and say, you know what, the, I can probably walk away from this battle, but I may not walk away from another one. For example, someone comes at me with a club or someone comes at me wielding acid damage. Right, One of those things is really going to mess you up in real life. Your character may instinctively know, I'm going to take my chances against the club. Yeah. Right. However, I don't want a splash of acid on me. Separating the idea of player knowledge and character knowledge is it's a sticky subject for a lot of people um, because the the concept is that you're supposed to be playing this fresh right from the beginning. Yeah. But you're already not doing that. You already have decided, you know, with your point by or your dice rolls or your class choices, you know that you're leaning in the direction of you want to be an assassin. You're level one. But you're going for the assassin well, subclass. Most, most people, even when they when they roll up their characters, they're rolling up with level twenty in mind, right? And they're well, they're some people are. I don't. Or or level twelve, even like I don't. But three but some three levels do. down the line, I'm going to be getting this. Five levels down the line, I'm going to be getting this. But they start to lean in that direction. Yeah. And so when you have someone that's uh, uh they they know that they have they're going to study the school of necromancy. And they're sitting and they're lining up what spells they're taking and they're looking at their at their spell list and the tree that they're going to go down and whatnot. They're planning far ahead of time. They can't wait to get Finger of Death, right? That's what they're thinking about. Their, <coughs> their character doesn't necessarily know that. But I got a question for you guys. Why are the spells called the things they're called? A sorcerer isn't casting fireball. Right? A sorcerer is making that shit over there catch fire. Right? And that's all they're thinking. Right? A warlock is saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to make this pact with my patron and I'm going to shoot green energy out of my hands. And it's going to do all this awesome stuff that is unique to my personal needs. They're not sitting there going, hmm, which invocation should I get for my Eldritch <laughs> Blast? Right? They shouldn't instinctively know this. A wizard might because they've learned it out of a textbook. Right? right? But a ranger who's casting Hunter's Mark should really just be focusing on what that enemy is doing mm -hmm. and and really aligning themselves up magically with that creature. Yeah. And so at what point is this meta gaming? And we do it all the time where we don't have a problem with it. Well, I think depending on the style of the table you're playing at, it's going to be either a massive problem or not a problem at all. Like if you're playing a more combat-driven table war game style game, 
it's not going to matter if you have if your character's never seen a magman before or has never seen a fire giant before to know right off the bat hey I should be using cold damage on this guy well, or, or I, something like I that. I think there's right? a certain amount of that that's common sense. And so that comes into a character's concept of uh, the lore and the legends and the yeah. myths and the fairy tales that they've heard growing up. Yeah. And this is where, in previous editions, they called them knowledges. They don't have that phrase anymore. Um, but it's your arcana, yeah, your history, true. your nature, and your religion. These four will kind of sum up what you know, plus your basic intelligence yeah. check. Yeah, I was going to say, like, anything that doesn't fall within those, you would rely on your intelligence. And anything that, you know, is more a spur of the moment, you rely on, like, a wisdom check. Uh, I, I would even say that your intelligence can be spur of the moment. There are things that I consistently try to remember that I can't quite grasp, mm -hmm. that yeah. I know are in my history, but I'm like, uh, the name of that band is, and I can't get it, right? However, like, see, for me, wisdom is reading your surroundings, Charisma's reading the room, like reading the people. Yeah, well, and, well that's and intelligence why, that's why is reading yourself. That's why I was reading the. Uh, I was mentioning the wisdom thing is because if you walk into a room full of fire elementals, it's not a hard leap to say I need to be using a cold or a water type damage. But it might be for a level two rogue, for example, that mm -hmm. isn't magically inclined to be able to say, "Hey, you know what? Fire thing. I'll blow up the fire with my fire." Right? They're going to learn the hard way real quick. Yeah. But I, they do have to learn that. I think there, there's going to be a point where, yes, I agree with you there, Adam. But also, me as Terry, I'm not an adventurer. But if I walked into a room and Dan was on fire, I would instinctively know to throw water on him to put him out. And then like, I would run in with a bag of marshmallows and then slowly <laughs> back out. <laughs> now, that was pretty graphic. But that's the point you're making, is Dan, is, is when is it just sort of common sense? What about this one as well? Because I want to throw in... What about when it's linked to abilities, as in, or magic items, as in, this will do an additional 1d8 if the enemy is undead. So, are you talking like like smiting? Uh, smiting is a great example, yes. So, is it too much for a player to go, is this undead? Uh, well, you see, I think that any character that is applying additional damage specifically to an undead type should have it worked into their backstory. This is the homework you need to do as a player. Yeah. To say, you know what, I'm a holy avenger. This is what I do. I am out to fight the undead as a cleric or a paladin. So even as a ranger, if you've chosen that that subtype to to want to fight uh, or to be proficient in um, in killing, you know that inherently that you can apply this one single role, this one single ability, this one single. You are better at this. You have picked up this talent. You are blessed by this god. You have this magical inclination. Something. To be able to kill someone yeah. that of, of this type. Because as you turn the corner and see a, a gibbering mouther, for example, yeah. you don't know how to kill that thing. You're like, oh, that is more eyes and mouths than I'm comfortable with. And I'm just going to back away slowly and shoot it repeatedly until that thing just stops moving. Yeah. Right? Whereas you would inherently know that if that thing is skeletal or well, that thing is rotting... That maybe you should hit it here, or maybe maybe if you focus your divine power, you'll be able to hit it a little bit harder. This is one of the things about being like a rogue that has always kind of frustrated me is back in previous editions, there was a laundry list of things you could not sneak attack as a rogue. You could sneak attack far more often. You could do it more than just once around, but 
there was a laundry list of things you couldn't because sneak attack was you hit that precision damage. Right? Yeah, you, you can't sneak joy. attack a black pudding, for yeah. example. Right? You, and like even back in the day, like you couldn't sneak attack elementals. You couldn't sneak attack... Um, they don't have a front. They don't have an you, obvious weak spot. You couldn't sneak attack undead. You couldn't sneak attack uh, constructs. Now, like, the only things you can't sneak attack are oozes and elementals, I believe. Right? I think, just to touch on the sneak attack real thing, I think the definition of sneak attack has changed. It's not about hitting a precise point. It's about the enemy being distracted. Yeah. This person is next to me. So, because when you're in a, in a, in a fight, we are fight, we're fighting and defending each other. There's constant movement until my attention goes over here towards Adam. And yeah. now you don't necessarily need to hit me in a certain point in my back. You just have a clean shot to my back. But if you were a mechanical horror of some kind, what, what would change? Uh, you Your general awareness of the room, you don't perceive as a regular sentient or semi-sentient or sub-sentient being mm -hmm. perceives. Um, for example, an ooze doesn't have eyes or ears. Right? <coughs> it's pretty hard to distract something that doesn't have regular sensory organs. Yep. Um and the same thing for construct as well. Like, sure, there may be, for lack of a better word, cameras and speakers. Even though the like we're talking robots and not warforged at this point. Yeah. But when it comes down to constructs, they're they may have technically eyes or mouths, but they don't really. Their concept of awareness has got to be magic in some way. Yep. So therefore, their awareness is magic in some way. So I I hand wave that. That's fine for me. Okay. It, does this become a two-way street as well? Just kind of touch on what some of you, a couple of you guys were saying there. A couple of there's only two of you. What both of you guys were saying there is, is there a point where it is acceptable for a player to ask the question as in um, you, you describe what the monster is in front of them. Let's say it is a zombie. Let's keep it simple. Sure. Could me as the cleric say, judging from the fact that there is flesh falling from their bones, can I determine whether or not this creature is undead? Like, is there a point where it's okay to ask that question? Absolutely. And a lot always. of times, yeah, you should I, always be asking because the DM, if you are still wondering, the DM didn't explain it properly. Right. Now, that's my perspective on that, right? But um, for me, I, I like to hold up pictures of this is what you see. Right. I will find it on the internet and I'll bring up my tablet and I'll be like, here, this is physically what you see. And a lot of times you don't know what the hell this thing is. Yeah. You've never seen a picture of this. Because I don't grab the one that's out of the monster manual. I try to find fan art. So it's a little, little strange. But... Um, yes, you should ask about what a zombie is the first time. The second time, it's a zombie, right? <laughs> you have seen this before. But at that point, it's on the DM, though, right? To explain that properly. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what if you were starting a campaign at level 5? Then that's what your knowledge is. Like, I'm sorry, I used the word again. Yeah. Your, your arcana, your nature, your religion, and your history. That's what these are for. Have I seen this? Have I heard of this? Do I know this? Okay. Right? And that is where... From my perspective as a DM, when someone says, hey, would I know that this flying monstrosity in front of me is a solar angel? Or am I thinking that this is some sort of eagle hybrid? <coughs> right. Yeah. And you would sit there and go, roll a religion check. Everyone's heard of angels. Don't roll a one or a two. Yeah. Right. And if they roll a one, you're like, it's an eagle thing. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> right. So. Uh, so I, I, I do want to dive into this a little bit more because there's also a lot of and this has happened between you and me, confusion of what knowledge, for lack of a better term, what knowledge applies to what kind of monster. Yep. So if there's an aberration in front of you, what are you rolling? That's from the planes, therefore it is arcana. Period. Hands down. Except they split planes between religion and arcana in this. No, if it's from the... If, it depends on the aberration. Because, you, okay, specifically an aberration, 
No, that is Arcana. Okay. Um, if it's a fiend or a celestial, that's religion. Okay. And that's where I draw the, the line. Okay. So uh, monstrosities uh, can be from history because those, maybe there's a legend about this creature. Like a chupacabra or something. Right. Or it, could, thingy. or it could be nature as well. So it really depends on what you're dealing with. And there are some things as well that I'd be like, you know, just roll a basic intelligence check. Maybe you've heard of an, a gray ooze before, but it doesn't really fall in anything else. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so chances are low. It's going to have a high DC. Roll for it and tell me if you, you know, what you get. Let's find out if you know what this is or have an inkling. And a lot of times, this is not a pass-fail. This is a, you've heard rumors of. Or, oh my god, you rolled a 32 with your stats on this. Here is the monster manual. You have three <laughs> seconds to look at the stats and memorize as much as you can. Yeah. And then and then I'll take it back. And I've literally handed the book across the table to people and, yeah. and said multiple times. 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. Yeah. Back. And then yeah. I take it back, right? So um, you can decide what to give them. Maybe they only know some mechanics. Maybe they only know some lore. Maybe they know some things. And I have no problem feeding misinformation. Based on a, a 12. Yeah. You think you know this and this and this, but you were wrong. I like to make up... Sorry, Jerry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, because you said misinformation. Do you know what I love? Is those roles where it is not completely clear whether the, the player or the character succeeded or not. Mm-hmm. For example, roll an inside check. 13. They kind, <laughs> of, they kind of glare at you and smile and say, interesting, and walk away. What does that mean? I don't know. Could have passed, could have failed. You rolled a 13. You don't know whether you succeeded my, or not. My two favorite phrases are, it seems like, and yeah. it appears that. Yeah, because because just to touch on this real quick, insight is not detect thoughts. No. So it's, you are reading somebody's face and someone's mannerisms. Yeah. So if you roll a 13, it, it's not clear. It's yeah. not clear. It's not, you definitely passed. And, it's and, the same and, way that Arcana is not, you know, detect magic, right? Yeah. Like, yeah and you, and this, is, this is just out to all players everywhere. If... Your smart person across the table fails a knowledge roll that doesn't give you the freedom to jump in and be like, oh, wait, no, I'm going to do this now. If <laughs> I, if, too, roll an insight yes, check. Yes, right? If your detective, like, roll botches their insight check that doesn't give room for the, you know, wizard who is a bit of an airhead and, like, looking around to jump in and be like, no, I'm going to roll an insight, too. No, it doesn't work like that. Right. However, if you're trying to figure out how tough a, a warg is compared to a dire wolf, and the ranger fails, I think it is totally on the table for the druid or the barbarian to also try. Yeah. Okay. But as a DM, I will adjust the difficulty appropriately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that way, it would have been easier for the ranger if they didn't run across this. They're having an off day. They're a little hungover from the party last night. Yeah. So the barbarian happens to be well-versed in this or remembers a specific teaching that their yeah. chief gave them. Yeah. And and there there are interesting moments that have come up when like, the wizard fails an arcana, but the barbarian crits one. Yeah. And just the barbarian knows more about the specific magical you, effect. You've been at a tavern wizard. and you got into a conversation and uh, whatever. Like you can, you can yeah. pull it out. Of yeah. It, you just got to justify it. Um, what about uh, during combat? So if, okay, I want to roll a history check on whatever, religion check on this solar angel. And okay, so that's the ranger. You know this, but you're in combat and nobody else knows this right now. So unless you use your interaction to share this information with everybody else, nobody else knows this information. Yeah, I love doing this to you guys. I do it all the time. All the time. It's frustrating as hell. <laughs> but it's true. And, though, right? Well, in past editions, uh, speaking to other people could happen whenever. 
It was a free action that could happen whenever. So if on my turn, I knew that this dragon had this kind of breath attack, I could tell the person who was next in initiative, hey, they've got this kind of breath attack and it looks like it recharged. Oh. And they would know. What's your opinion right? on this, actually? Do you do you think that... If, do you think that you should be able to speak at any point or do you think you should use your interaction to share information? I think there there is a timed amount of speech that could happen at any point. In time. I played in a game... This was a few years ago, before I met you, Terry, um, but after I left your group, Dan. I played uh, briefly with another group that I don't talk about very often. And the DM there had a couple of really funky rules. And one of the things that he did was he ran initiative on a board that everyone could see. But it, he would have round one written at the top. You cross it out in round two and then cross that out in round three and on and on and on. There were six seconds of conversation you were allowed to have and he used an hourglass. Mm-hmm. And if that hourglass ran out of time... No one else can speak for the rest of this round. You can talk whenever. Well, that's but that's six seconds. Well, it's super limiting and it's frustrating as all hell. I yeah. would argue now. This is just a homebrew thing that I would like to use. Is that if you miss your interaction on your turn, you can use your reaction as an interaction. I'm all, I'm all over that. There's yeah. no reason why you can't be yelling out as a reaction. But remember, you're giving up your opportunity. You're giving up attacks. your reaction. But but that's because you're stopping what you're doing mid-combat to share this vital information with the person who needs it immediately. Absolutely. I love that. That's a fantastic cool. idea. Cool. Um, I want to move on now. <laughs> that sounds so sarcastic, Dad. Dad was like, cool. Anyway. <laughs> just, no, I know, no, I agree. I know you I meant it. Agree. I know you I meant it. Agree. <laughs> um, I do want to move on. Uh, we have a quick little commercial first, though. So before we move on, here's a word. cool would it be to hear your company name on this podcast? Pretty stinking cool. It's Mimic is ready to take our show to the next level. We want to partner with other awesome businesses to share your brand with our listeners. Please email us at info at itsamimic.com for advertising information. All right, we're back. So, before the commercial, we talked about uh, character knowledge, player knowledge, and how to mix uh, mix it. I want to specifically talk more about the base behind the knowledge, and that's your motivation as a player, your motivation as a character, and making your character get the things that your player wants, but also making sure the player gets what the character wants, and getting that out on the table, and motivations behind it. So, roll on the dice, boys. <laughs> Oh, 18s again. Oh, I tried on an 18 again. I might win this. I probably will. Why do you have a 19? <laughs> Why do you say words? You I should know. stop I saying shouldn't. words. Exactly. All right. So uh, I won. And uh, so I'm going to go first. But let me start right off the bat by saying I don't want to focus on combat. Mm-hmm. A, lot yeah, of the, no. a lot of the times the character wants that fiery sword and the player wants the fiery sword. Or, hey, this is really cool uh, halberd over there, but the player's really used to using a chain or whatever it is. That's not what we're talking about here. No, no, no. Okay. We're we're talking purely about the goals that your character and the player has. These things. The, the, the role-playing. This is the role-playing rem- side of the when you three remove, things. Three well, we just, we just talked a whole lot about, about combat scenarios. Yeah. So when you remove the fight out and you look at the long-term goals, uh, the player motivation has got to be, in my opinion... Set right out at the beginning. You guys know that when I run a campaign, when we get started and we roll it up, I want backstories. 
And I want 16 pages of backstories because I will read it and I will pull bits and pieces and not necessarily what you think, but I will pull bits and pieces. I want to know uh, what your uh, romantic history has been. I want to know who your nemesis has been and why. And I want to know the state of your family. I want to know the state of the place that you came from. Yeah. When how we, you left when, it. When we rolled, you uh, when I first came into the group, you gave me a list of like 15 questions that I needed to answer in my backstory in a document that I gave to you. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's probably overkill for a lot of people. I like to run really gritty and realistic campaigns. So I'm a big believer in the fact that we're only renting these characters. Um, they've got a backstory and they've got a future, assuming they make it through the campaign. Um, <laughs> Terry. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh. but this is really, we're borrowing them for a handful of weeks or months, however long it takes, for the story um, to unravel. What happens is them trying to get what they're after. And I really don't like campaigns, this is me personally, that start off in the tavern where, oh my God, the blacksmith's daughter's been kidnapped, go out and rescue her, and you're just reactionary and reactionary right. and reactionary. Oh, and now that you've captured her, you've rescued her from the goblins, you just you discovered that the goblins are working for a cult. Okay, I guess we're off to fight the cult now. Why does my player give a damn? Why do they care at all about this? Yeah. What does my character want? But... There's a little bit of an issue here, too, because a player is writing what they want to experience at the table. Yeah. And I w- and it's going to be different for every single player. Yeah, it, it is. And it's going to be sometimes broad spectrum, like, I want a redemption arc, right? Or uh, it could be really specific, I need to find my sister, right? Whatever it is, they are going to come to the table in the first session with this idea of this is a story that's going to be told. However, that's really the flavoring to the full meal. The meal being the plot itself of of the campaign. You as a dungeon master need to be able to understand that this is what the players want. And you as the player need to understand that the dungeon master is juggling the exact same issue for every single person at the table. Plus the overall plot. And the motivations of every NPC and villain and bad guy and, and everything else in this game... So your thing is going to be on hold for a couple of sessions. And it might get brought up a little bit now, but the Dungeon Master's playing the long con. He's here in in the long, the big scheme of things. He's not here to accommodate you being a, a, a loner, edgy, dark character who doesn't want to be friends with anybody and just wants to... Yeah, don't be that guy. No, don't be that guy. But even if you are that guy... You as a player, your motivation is to come every week to the table and have fun with your friends. Your character's motivation is to flip off the rest of the party and walk out. You need to marry those two things together and come up with a reason. And it can be as simple as, hey, I'm just going to use these people for protection from now because the wilderness is a dangerous place. Or, you know what? These guys seem like they could be uh, an interesting time or, or good for some laughs. Or we are all headed south for now. And I will build a relationship with one or two of them to keep me invested in them by session four. But you need to be, as a player, flexible and malleable enough to be able to work with everyone else. Yeah. That's me. And I think I'm going to add straight on for what I was going second. I'll add straight on for what you said there. I think this is something, speaking as the voice of the newer players, that isn't always known by new players. I remember when I first started playing D&D, the idea of a backstory was alien to me because everything was brand new. I didn't know what any of it was. 
I was level one, stepping through the door for the first time, and this is all fantastic. So for me, I was just thinking, I just want to explore. Yeah. And I, I remember talk, having this conversation many times with Adam about him not giving him enough because I wasn't thinking about what was in my past. I'd never seen any of it. I was like, take me anywhere. Do anything with me. I just want to experience it all. It's also your motivation for uh, for dating life as well. That's just yeah. in, in general. That's what. Yeah. I, take me anywhere. Do anything. I'm just me. take me anywhere to as long as you're a goth girlfriend. That's all I need. <laughs> <in my life. laughs> but <laughs> I've told totally you that's what I said. Our, our but, downloads <laughs> just spiked for some reason. <laughs> so that was the mistake that I was making. But now, having been a DM a few times, I now understand the importance of backstory and having something to work with. But what about this? Because I think we missed this in the last part, and I want to tie it into my point. When is it? okay to metagame as a dm when you're either trying to to feel a player out and where they might want to go or draw something from their backstory when can you have that private conversation on the chat and be like hey i'm thinking about doing this with you is that okay i think it is okay as long as you have that conversation don't spring it on your party on on your player unless you have a very good reason uh a few episodes ago we talked about the time Adam dropped my nemesis on me at the last session of the, the, right. the campaign. Yeah, thanks, bud. Um, don't, like, that's like the only situation I think it would be okay to kind of surprise. Right. If you want to mess with a character in a very deep and personal way, talk to the player beforehand and be like, hey, I don't want to give you the exact details about this, but... Sometime in the future, I'm thinking about doing, you know, I'm thinking about tweaking with this and tweaking with this, tweaking with this. Here, here's a great example. So uh, something that happened um, when I was DMing, and I'm, I sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but this is really about the player. The player was fantastic for this. In the last campaign that I was running, uh, we had a character that uh, fell, I think, 520 feet onto whirling blades and just got pulped, <laughs> blended. There was, there was just a mist. Of character, I think left. you said there was a boot and a kidney or something. Yeah, there was a boot and a kidney that that was that <laughs> remained. Well, however, Here's however, the player this happened relatively close to the end of the session, and the player was going away on vacation or not vacation, sorry, a work trip uh, the following week, so wouldn't be there anyway. So we had a couple of weeks to work out what was going to happen. Now I dropped an instant revivify um, somewhere else in the world that they had unknowingly tripped earlier. And so her character appeared on the other side of the world map. And I had the luxury of having some time pass where the other players were sitting there going, oh my God, what's going to happen? Who's this new character going to be? How do they feel? Are they upset about this? And she just played it totally stone-faced because she and I sat down the moment it happened. I kicked everyone out of the room and I said... (laughs) I remember that. It got deep. It was like, everybody get out. We need to talk about this. (laughs) Yeah. and And I said, now your character is still alive. I have this built in so that they can come back and we're going to bring you in in a giant cinematic moment. But you're going to have to sit still for a session and a half and not say anything to come in on on this amazing reveal if you're cool with it. And she was. She was great. And I said, oh, by the way, don't let anybody else know. And so we conspired together to work towards this outcome. Um, and that's that was very much meta knowledge on my part. Me saying, look, your character can still be alive. I'm not in, I'm not role playing at this point. This is me stepping up as a dungeon master to a player and saying, "Here it is. Yeah. These are this is what's going on. Are you okay with this? This is how I'd like to run it. How do you want to run it?" Yeah. And as a matter of fact, if I remember correctly, when I said, "Don't tell anyone else," there was this evil little glint in her eye that said, "Excellent." 
because <laughs> she like dragged it out. Oh, I'm thinking about this maybe, and I'm going to look into that. And don't ask me what the player, what what the race or the class are going to be. She really milked it, and it was fantastic. Yeah, and I think like my first session in was when we did, you guys did the reveal of her mm-hmm. as well, and she yeah. sat at the table for like four hours. Yeah, four hours, and like she was playing NPCs. Yeah, and like. Oh, because we were screwing around, taking forever to get to the point where she was supposed to end her. Yeah, you're not wrong. Well, as players, you don't know that something's about to happen, right? So we're just coming up with strategies for this thing. But it's so important to realize that there are two people at the table with a meta game perspective on this Mm -hmm. for a huge payoff. To, for not only the other characters, but the players as well. Yeah, I think it's also important to just run it. it you don't have to give all the details, but just run it by a player if it's going to jeopardize their fun or their enjoyment of the game. So I did it as well when I was DMing for our group. I had a private conversation with the player and said, hey, I'm not going to give too much away, but your enemy is changing their strategy. They're going to use some misdirection. Would it ruin your game if you became a vampire? Yeah. If that happened. And yeah. that, I just left it at that. And the answer was no, it would be okay, and then we could go from there. And I want to talk about this a little bit in the next episode, but there are times when it is appropriate to metagame when you're going to mess with the character, um, when you're going to mess with the player, or when you're going to push a boundary. Mm-hmm. Because if you're going to say, hey, you know what, we're going to go into a torture scene, for example, right? you need to ask permission to find out if those boundaries are okay. Mm-hmm. I have taken some risks as a DM. Unfortunately, they've all paid off. But like... <laughs> mostly, th- mostly. Th- things have... Things have gotten very, very dark in a lot of ways in my campaigns. Yeah, it has. And, um, and I did it with some relatively new players at the table, too, that I didn't know very well. And going back now, being more experienced, I would definitely say that I should have asked permission ahead of time. Um, it went well at the time, and I'm thankful that it did. But I got lucky, and, and a lot one of people day aren't. it will go wrong. That's, it it yeah. very much will, right? Yeah, if you roll those dice, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for my perspective on this, I also wanted to kind of talk about uh, developing and changing your character's motivation, mm-hmm. um, and what to do when you hit your goal and the campaign is still going. So we're coming to a point right now in the campaign where my character's goal for this entire thing is. He's trying to rescue his daughter. And we're getting close to a point where my character will actually do that. And we're level 13. There's still seven levels to go. And Adam's been very open and honest with us that he wants this campaign to go until level 20 before we go back and see what happened with the previous crew. So I've been agonizing over what does Lockie do the second he's reunited with his daughter in all situations. Because I don't know if this is going to go well, if this is going to go poorly. I don't know how this is going to pan out, but I know it's going to pan out soon. So how do you guys as DMs, as players, handle a completion to a story arc mid-campaign for a character? I think... Um, do you want to go? Is it okay? No, you go first. I, I have my answer, but you, you write okay. I think um, it's, the, it's the same as how you would deal with a character death. So the character deaths are unexpected mm-hmm. most of the time. We don't expect them to happen, but still we have to work around it. Characters exited, we have to introduce a new character. I think if you come to the completion of a, of a character's story arc, that is also an opportunity to exit that character. Now, we're not saying you have to do that with Lockie, but you could be like, Lockie has found his daughter, she is alive, he has decided that he would like to spend his life with her, and this is where Lockie will exit the campaign. Yeah. That's the same as if the character had died. 
the DM. We now have to introduce a new character. This is something that is not done enough in Dungeons & Dragons, where you say, hey, you know what? This story is complete. We're moving on to something else. You know who does this better than anybody else? I'm just going to interrupt real quick. Go for it's, it. I'm done. George R.R. R. Martin with, with Game of Thrones, especially yeah. in the books. Right. Where he's just like, you know what? We don't need to follow this person anymore. They did what they were going to do. Or they didn't, but their story is no longer important. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What about the difficult questions when it comes to metagaming as a DM? So, uh, Adam, you kind of got me onto this because you've asked me the difficult questions before where it's like you may seem like you have a pretty solid alliance with the character. I have a joint backstory, or I did before my character died, with another player at our table. And you sent me a list of questions. One of them I remember stood out to me was, what will it take for your character to betray this other character? Because that's where you're kind of feeling out and probing. What can we use for leverage to make the game more interesting? Now, I could have given you a list of these answers, and you probably wouldn't use 95% of them. It's the one which is most interesting to you. Yeah, look, I, I ask a lot of these questions. And or, hold on, I'm going to rewind for a minute to answer Dan's question first um, about what happens when a person achieves their goal. Right. Because <laughs> um, it relates to this as well. Because you've asked me questions of Lockie, like, if... You had your party that you've now been traveling with, your group of friends that now you've been traveling with for X amount of months in game and out of game. Like we've been having this campaign for a while. What happens if you are forced to choose between your daughter, who's your main goal, and your friends? Who do you choose? Yeah, I've asked you that. And you have given me different answers at different times because the relationships are always changing Mm -hmm. and things are fluid. For example, Dan's character just took half of the Necronomicon from the from the necromancer I'm and read it die yeah and the necromancer is we assume enraged by this although she's playing the cards close to her chest everyone at the table went ooh but we're waiting to see what's going to happen next they were actually kind of friends before this is a big issue what happens when there's a reconciliation mm-hmm. where there was an issue and now they're friends this is a big question that, that you need to ask yourself as a player. Now, DMs, it's your job to set up these circumstances and from a meta perspective, maybe ask that question or to drop little hints and say, you know what, there, there's a lot of gray area in this campaign. Feel free to go one way or the other. We used to have alignments to indicate which way to go and alignment shifts. While that still exists, doesn't matter as much in 5th edition. But you need to think as a player... How much do I care about this? When does my opinion change? Because I've worked with players when I was a player and when I was a DM. Players that said, oh no, you know what? Uh, I'm a battle axe guy and I only use a battle axe. And you will give them a plus seven item yep. that is not a battle axe. And they go, go, no, battle axe only. <laughs> and how, how do I make this a battle axe? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But when you're doing that with people too, where you're, they're like, I hate halflings and that's my backstory. Then you introduce a halfling that's funny and charming and is always helping them out, whether it's an NPC or a player, and then they've got to make a choice about which one to save, right, between two options, and they will instinctively say, well, I'm going to save the other one, even though they have a better relationship with the halfling, because, and I quote, my player hates halflings. If that's what you're doing, you're doing it wrong. You need to stop and think about why. And this is where I come from consistently, is why. Because... I said it in previous episodes, the root of the thing is never the thing itself. Mm -hmm. And I am a big believer in this for every aspect of life, but also specifically for running characters 
as a player, you need to understand not only why you're doing what you're doing, why you're doing it now, why you're saying these things to the person you're saying them to. And sometimes the answer needs to go deeper. I don't like halflings. Why? Because a halfling murdered my <coughs> my mother. Okay, why was that an issue? There are a lot of orphans in this game. Mm-hmm. Why is this one an issue? Yeah. Oh, because I was really close with my mother. Why? Now I want to get to the point where you're describing lullabies and shit to me. Yeah. So that I can bring out that lullaby as a DM to make your character wistful. But if you're never asking yourself why, we're crippling this story. Right. Yeah. No, that's it. But I think I think what you're saying there, I agree with 100%. But I think for newer players, it takes time to get there. Absolutely. It takes a bit does. of practice oh, yeah. before you understand the importance of it. And also how fun it is. And it's not just a chore. Like you understand that if you got a, a good DM, they're going to use that to make your game better. But you touched on alignment real quick before. And you also said the word fluid, which I like. And I agree with it because... I think, yes, in previous editions, alignment was set and this is what you are and it was very uh, extremist. I don't think it's like that now or it shouldn't be like that. No, now. it isn't. I was the not the same person two hours ago. I didn't. Two hours ago, I was starving hungry and I was not lawful good, Terry. I was full on asshole, Terry. Until I got some Give food. me a cheeseburger. Yep, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> Except I had a barbecue chicken pizza from Brown's. Shout out to Brown's. <laughs> But my point is that depends on what's going on in your life. And we were talking about Lockie a second ago. Your alignment is going to shift a little bit. Yeah, and Lockie's it's going to made move some around. If I ask you a question right before combat, you're going to answer it differently to the same question right after combat, for example, or a very stressful time in your life. So I think we get so focused on alignment, I don't think we should. Okay, all right, hold on. I'm going to jump in because that is a perfect example of character versus player knowledge. Right. Dan's character uses drugs on a regular basis. There is... Dan, I don't think, has ever touched drugs. He's a happy little Christian boy. But... Uh, but... No comment. <laughs> Dan's character... His last character's name was Rezu. His current character is Rezu backwards, which is user. So... Have you, have you never figured that out? No. Yes! So, Neither have I. Love it. Um, nice. But... And yes. Yeah, but your character uses drugs. Now, there's a particularly potent one called Brown Flower that your character's used repeatedly. And I said... There are a certain number of times you can use this. I have rolled it, and it is a secret how many times you can do this before you become addicted. And if you become addicted and then don't do it, you will have withdrawal, which is levels of exhaustion and other physical things. that Your con will go down if you continue to use this. Yeah. Until it's negative, right? And this is a real issue. And so Dan's like, oh, I'm going to use it now. I'm going to use it now. I'm going to use it now. And he's pretty relaxed about it. And I finally stopped him and I said, are you certain mm-hmm. you were going to do this? Now, when you hear that from a DM, you, you stop everything. That's never a good sign. No, you stop everything and rethink your life. But when, when I said, are you certain you want to do this? That's meta. I'm asking Dan from a DM to a player, do you want to play a crippled character? Yeah. And Dan stopped himself and he said, no, okay, so I won't do it. But I'm okay with that because his character has a high enough intelligence that his character would say, look, I know that things are getting dangerous. Yeah. I should draw the line here. And it's fine. There's been And there's been moments after that where Lockie is still dipped into the brown flower in order to... Um, expand his mind. Expand his so mind so to good. help the party with other things, right? right? Like, uh, it's become a useful tool that has a dangerous butt at the end of it, right? But it's it's very important... From for me as a DM and for Dan as a player to understand the the meta knowledge here, the player knowledge 
that will line up as a character knowledge, but in very different language and very yeah. different terms. And ultimately, this is all going to boil down into how immersed you are and how the character choices that you make will influence um, what your character knows, what the story, how the story is going, everything else. And before we get to that, you got one more thing. Uh, yeah, I'll I, give you one more point, and then we're gonna do a shout out. Uh, okay, cool. I've got uh, I've got a couple of tricks for someone for a player who's like I don't know how to do that. Okay. I don't know how to separate it. So there are two things. First and foremost, open discussions with your dungeon master. Be open with it. Oh yeah, yeah. Be Great. open with everyone else at the table about what your motivations are. So that they will know not to push your boundaries and not to try to suck you into things that you don't want to do, but also not to push you into places that you're not interested in going. Right? Open communication player to player is key. If your character holds it back, that's one thing, but player to player or player to dungeon master is absolutely key to help uh, develop this. And the other thing is, play a character that is radically different from yourself. It is very, very easy for me to play a fast-talking human or or half-elf or dwarf or whatever. These are easy for me. For me to play a uh, dragonborn barbarian is so out of my realm yeah. that I would have to consistently ask myself, is this what my character would do? How would my character react? Because I don't have that answer right off the top of my head. So when you're starting off, a lot of people just pick human fighter because I can think of that. You should do the exact opposite. You should think about a tiefling warlock mm -hmm. who is consistently talking with a great old one. Because that is not something that you, uh, I hope you're not doing. <laughs> so anyway, those are my two, those are my two tips. Or yeah. if you're having trouble getting into the headspace, grab something. And Volo's Guide to Monsters, by the way, has so many other races for you to play that are alien compared to a human. Yeah. Whether it's a gnoll or a goblin or a triton even, whatever it is, there's a lot of good ways in there to be able to, uh, to, be able to, to pull different motivations so that you can get into a different mindset. Nice. <coughs> I like that. Okay. Uh, so we're going to move into a shout-out right now. And I would just like to quickly shout-out Laura at 20-Sided Life. Uh, she has been a active user and follower. Not like Lockie. <laughs> not like, not like, not like Lockie. Lockie. Not like Lockie. She, uh, but like, uh, she's this interacting with us on Instagram on the daily. Like She's, she's uh, really supporting the podcast. And uh, your likes and mentions and all that other stuff, it does not go unnoticed. What did you just do? Walked away to sneeze and now I'm back again. <laughs> okay. So uh, shout out to Laura. Um, I watched her little live stream she had the other day and her and her Oh, friends, nice. They, they're they're freaking rocking it. Man. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, uh, follower, it's at 20 sided life, one word. Um, Is 20 the number or the word? It, it's the numer numerical 20. Two zero. Two zero. Sided life. So uh, follow Laura and uh, you'll get some good uh, feeds going. Nice. Cool. cool. Um, now I want to talk about immersion. Um, really diving into your character, applying that player knowledge, applying that character knowledge, applying those motivations in the game and how to do it. Grab your dice, gentlemen. Let's roll. Let's go. Dan interrupted my roll. Oh, I got 19. I get to go first. I got to go first. I got a two. <laughs> Okay, so emerging players, commitment, and character choices. Okay, so here are my tips for... Here's a very simple tip. Yeah, this is going to be very focused on players and DMs enabling players. Okay, so for, for, for role-playing here, newer players are, are nervous. 
basically oh, yeah. they're, they're nervous they and they don't necessarily know how to play how to role play and i think you need to use your npcs to draw it out of them so asking questions asking questions even if they're not necessarily 100 related to what the the conversation is remember people npcs people in general we're, we're sometimes we're just asking things to ask them even if it's unrelated to the mission we're just trying to draw the player out of themselves uh, so they can get a little bit more engaged with their character and once they feel more comfortable then we can start with the heavy questions uh with the heavier topics uh, when they feel more comfortable with it so i think you need to earn trust from your players by trying that and also pay attention to what they're asking for mm -hmm. in quotation marks even though if they don't realize that they're asking for it do you have an example um i would say so we can always spot the person the the fighty fighty smitey smitey i'm not interested in role playing i just want to go and hack and slash things up and hack and slash things up yeah the person who's who looking to, the person who's looking to yes <laughs> the person who's looking to explore a little bit more is the person who goes that video ga game style which is like i want to look in this drawer and now I want to look around the window frame and now I want to do this. And that person is telling you without telling you that they're more interested in the exploration side of yeah. the game. So I know when it comes to that character and that player, that is the side that I will exaggerate more than fighty, fighty, smitey, smitey over here. It's also important to think about also what players are not saying. When they get very quiet at the table, that can be almost louder than, yeah. than, than them speaking up. Yeah. When they are looking at their phone or digging through their spell list or they, they keep doing that thing where they take that little breath and they go, <gasps> and they don't say anything. Like they were about to, but they don't. They held back. Yeah. yeah. This is when you need to start paying attention because that character wants something or they don't want something. And you need to read their body language as a DM and as another player at the table. Yeah. If you are having a ball tying two weasels together to use them as weasel chucks... Okay, is and, this a real life? Yeah, this hey, actually this happened. happened. This yeah. has happened. happened in a game? Yeah. yeah, but everyone else at the table is rolling their eyes and checking their watch. Have your five-minute spotlight on this. But move on. Yeah. It is Read time. the room. It is time for you to think about what the other players are interested in. Yeah. And this is player knowledge. Your character may be having a blast. Your player, you as a player, may be having a blast. But nobody else is, and this is part of the social contract. We'll get into next session yeah. or next episode. But um, I think it is so important to be able to sit there and listen to what a, what the player is saying. You're absolutely right, and I know that I rolled last in initiative, but I want to just add on real quick to That's you because I have a, a real world example. Um, I was DMing for you, Terry, about the fourth session. Um, I'd seen you as a dungeon master. I hadn't seen you as a player. And you came in really letting everybody else run the show at first mm -hmm. as you kind of transitioned into player mode. Um, as well as everyone was getting used to my own style. It was radically different than, than yours. You were playing out of a module and I wasn't. But then you guys ran across three half-orc women that were about to be executed and, and you liberated them. When you said, can you describe them for me? And I started to, to talk about them. You went, okay, I, I expect them to be like, like CrossFit chicks. And I went, that that's too specific to be a coincidence. Terry's legitimately picturing these. And when you said, so just so describe them to me in detail. I'm like, okay, well, there's this one, which is a little bit gruffer. And this one's the leader. And this one's kind of the younger one. And you're like, how much younger? And I'm like, okay, I, no, 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 no. And I'm like, like 21. Like I put in your character's age range. Yeah. And you're like, okay. 
I'm going to make sure she's doing okay. You are telling me that you are invested in figuring out what's going on with this this female character over here. Right. So we're going to go down this road. You were not interested in what was going on with the gnome that was also from that from that cavern as well. Mm-hmm. You didn't care about what was going on with the little gnome tinkerer in there. You were interested in what was going on with the hot crossfit half-orc. <laughs> and I leaned into that, and you ended up... Uh, Marrying her. Yeah, you courted her, you got engaged, you got married, had you had a, a child. baby. Yeah. Right? And then you watched her get horribly executed right before your eyes. You couldn't do anything about it. Um, <laughs> and I shouldn't laugh. That's, but, that's my defense for this whole thing, was I wasn't just trying to fantasy bang her. I was genuinely invested in this Oh, at no, at no point did this turn into, like, bedroom stuff. Yeah. This was you exploring this from your character's perspective, which is why I was cool with going down this road. Yeah. Which is... Also, like, you were horrified when I executed her in front of you. I never would have had that moment if Isa DM hadn't listened to you 30 sessions before. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about when I almost, confession to the internet, when I almost cried at the table when my imaginary wife was killed in front of me. You were the only one. I was, like, feeling it. I was like, what the hell is happening in my body? (laughs) I I want, okay, so the very next day I was late to work because I went for a long walk. (laughs) On the Monday morning, I went for Good a long dog, walk and, and took a deep breath and like had to had to work that session out of my system. Yeah, because we had built that because I knew it was something you wanted, and then I had the opportunity to take it away. So I, I well, well, which is important as which a dungeon master. Uh, yeah, as a dungeon is. master, like you, you really have to. Uh, we mentioned earlier, like pulling little aspects out of uh, the backstories, pulling little aspects out of but, what they're doing but, now. But but to, but let me, well, let what me it say does really, is it engages them and gets them in. And gets them, pulls them into the uh, game a little bit more. Let me say, though, I had asked Terry ahead of time, what do you want out of this campaign? Yeah. And he said to me, and I quote, make it dark, man. The darker, the better. Just make it dark. And so, I, and so I did. And I gave him what he wanted because I broke the rule and I metagamed, what do you want? Yeah. I meant goth CrossFit chick half-orcs. He thought I meant killing the people I love the most <laughs> slowly in front of you with other people that you thought were allies. But, yeah. we, but Dude, we were still awesome talking though. about it almost, still talking about almost it. eight almost months later. I try to tell my non-D&D playing friends uh, about that situation. They just don't get it. They don't get it, all those regular people out there. I stopped speaking to people like that. <laughs> <laughs> now you okay. just uh, broadcast it all on the internet. Yeah. Um, so specifically immersion, like I, I did want to mention Adam, like, you asked, and this is something all DMs should do, and all players should provide their DMs a list of wants and needs for your character and for your player. Give them to them so that they could pull you in because this is what's going to bring you uh, bring you into the game, immerse you more in the game. It's going to encourage you to make these more character-driven choices. Um, we mentioned earlier the guy who you know doesn't want the plus seven longsword if it's not a battle axe. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I get a lot of flack from my other group as being the guy who kind of hoards magic items because I refuse to let magic items go. It's starting to get noticed in this group. Oh, sorry. I have the it's least amount. Of, well, no. You just, like Duke died and gave me a bunch of things. So I guess there's that. But uh, I refuse to admit that there will ever be a situation where any certain magic item isn't going to be incredibly useful. Right. So, like, I want to have everything just in case it is useful. What are you Whereas, waiting for? I have no idea at okay. this point. Pro tip for DMs, give magic items. Yes. But give magic items that can be used once or twice and then break or they're consumable so that you can always replenish with new and interesting magic yeah. items. 
because if you end up with someone like Dan, who just <laughs> holds on to absolutely everything, you cannot keep giving them magic items, uh, or they're just going to become superpowered by the time that they're two levels later, right? So yeah, that's the point. So use the <laughs> items, Dan. I. I am using the items. I used a ninth level scroll that you gave me to save these guys' what? asses. Why would you just use that? Save it. <laughs> 40 gnolls in a sewer. <laughs> That's why I used uh, it. I think but anyways, the, the, uh, the point of this is... Go on, Dan. Sorry. <laughs> the point of this is, you you as a DM, you're really trying to encourage your players to be immersed into their characters. Because that is when the game gets more entertaining for all of us. Is when you're really immersed, really engaged, really making choices and playing your character and, and and doing and progressing that way and and dms it's kind of your responsibility to really pull them in another tip but, i would but, say but it's also the responsibility of the player it, no, it, to communicate what's going to be exactly another way i would encourage uh everyone who's listening to really draw themselves into being engaged another kind of tip describe everything like even if it's a mundane action, put some extra flair and description in it at the table. That way you are forcing your mind into that headspace of um, really diving into your character. We mentioned earlier being in character. That's what I mean by that is really embody who your character is so that when you're describing, you're not just poking someone with a sword and killing them. You are full on, you know, drawing it slowly across their chest or whatever, right? Like... Put some more description and that will draw people in more. So, anyways, we are running long and you have another point. So, go ahead. Well, it's my turn. I rolled last in initiative. <laughs> this is what I was saying in the last episode, I think. I was like, if you roll last, you never get to speak. <laughs> because we get to the, the first two people go and then it's like we're moving on. <laughs> you say that it's important to keep, to get people immersed and I'm sitting here going, that's fine. How? Well, that... So, a couple of things that I want to point out. Uh, I want to go back to the tried and tested uh, trope, which is use a carrot and a stick, mm -hmm. right? There are two ways to motivate a horse. You can attempt it or you can punish it, right? The show's be a reward and punishment as a dungeon master. As a player, when a dungeon master dangles something in front of your eyes, do not just grab onto it because it's there. This is where chaotic stupid comes into play. Yep. Where just because there are a whole bunch of items sitting there and you can choose one... You go after that plus seven longsword. The DM goes, okay, great. They're mechanically minded and that's how they want to do it. Just, and you're thinking, shiny and long sword. this is what I want. But that has nothing to do with what your character is thinking. No. So here's, here's a good example. I have given absolutely every player the opportunity to have, or each character, the opportunity to have a romantic engagement with an NPC. About 75% of the time, they don't bite. Therefore, I don't drop that hint anymore and I move on to the next thing. What is going to engage them? If they all said, oh, yeah, I'm going to have a one-night stand with so-and-so, then what is this campaign? Mm -hmm. Am, are we just going from, from romantic interest to romantic interest? Should I be getting into relationships? What am I doing as a DM? I'm taking my cue from you. So you as a player need to think about what you want and committing to that. And if you're not getting what you want, then it is time for a metagame conversation with your DM, whether it's after or before or during the weeks in between. It doesn't matter when you have it, but have that conversation. Work with your Dungeon Master because, as we keep saying on this, this is a collaborative storytelling procedure. Work together to tell the story. 
Dan's character right now, we're talking about the idea of a redemption arc. Yeah. We don't know whether or not it's going to be successful. What I keep doing is I dangle shit in front of him and see if he bites. Sometimes he does. A lot of time he doesn't. And I don't know if he is going to choose to be redeemed or to give into the darkness. Mm-hmm. I just don't. And I, as a DM, I'm not planning that. I just keep offering the carrot or the stick. You can but, or you can and, right? It's it's good or bad, and it's up to you as the player to continue to make the choices like you're doing. Like I think you're doing a great job, Dan, uh, coming up with these ideas um, for how your character reacts to things, even though a lot of times it's not easy. No. But I'm consistently challenging you, and then based on your reaction, it challenges me. And we've got a far more interesting story than if you were just being like, yeah, man, I'm doing all the drugs and sleep with all the women. Right? That's not fun. No. Can I add to that? To completely agreeing with you, what you're saying there is to encourage the newer players, because I know a lot of people out there are playing the game for the first few times are like, okay, I, I want to be a good player. I want to be a good player. I want to sit here. I'm not going to interrupt the DM. I'm going to go along with whatever the DMs put in front of us. But here right now, we're giving you permission, quotation marks, to give things to the DM, to say what you want, say what you like, what you don't like, to bite on some things and not bite on other things, instead of sitting there quietly making the mistake that I made, which is just waiting to see what the DM puts in front of you, you are allowed to give suggestions, give requests, uh, give things that you like, because that will ultimately make the game better. But not demands. Suggestions and requests. We're working as a team. Your dungeon master is not your enemy. No. Yeah. But, but I he's think, also not your genie. Yeah, I, I'm like just you saying, can't just rub his belly and expect no, to get it. No, but I'm more. saying I think the I mistake, wish you would try. The mistake that newer players are making is uh, I'll I'll just come, I'll show up, I'll be a good player, I'll, I'll go along with whatever's happening. Yeah, thinking that that's the right thing to do, but no, you can get much more out of it. No, exactly. Yeah, you, remember you are an individual character with individual dreams, individual wishes, and actually play that at the table. Yep, and they will be dashed before your eyes. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes they'll pay off though as well. Mm-hmm. So. And, and when those moments pay off, like, even though Kogu got murdered, that was still a big payoff of that story arc. Oh, uh, we, no way. We, spent, we spent more time dealing with the wedding and the baby and, <laughs> and the pregnancy. We I got so much mileage out of that. And when it was over, I said, okay, what is the next most interesting thing to do here? It's, it's not baby number two. <laughs> We're not going to role-play marital issues, right? Well, but, Terry, but the thing Terry is like, wants to did. be in love with this character. We did a little and bit. And so I, I, we left that with... Okay, we did a little bit. With the... Uh, is it uh, the goblin that just appeared? Oh, the knob goblin. Appeared every morning that, that at is, 6 that is, that is a different conversation. Okay, okay, okay. But, but when I turned around and I said, okay, I know what Terry wants. Terry got everything he wanted. Now what? And I, as a DM, then looked back at what did he say he wanted beforehand? Can I give that to him? And then I did. I gave you this whole other... And we were talking about this earlier today before we showed up. I met Terry completely by accident down at the coffee shop, right? So um, we were talking for a few minutes there about what does his character do now? Is he dark and evil? Is he um, out for revenge? Does he curl up in a ball and cry about it? Does he just move on and pretend that none of this ever happened, yeah. right? And so there's some real choices. We're not even playing that character yet, but we're sitting there thinking about this going, oh, God, what happens next? Yeah. Because we had a couple of conversations about what he wanted. and We're there, talking about Titus right now, right? Yeah. 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 And, and what 
um, what I can do to help facilitate that. You don't always get everything you want. And if you do get it, it may not be in the way you want it. Yeah. All right. Dan is sitting here wondering if his character's daughter is dead or alive. And I say, man, there are a million things in between those two. Yeah. Let's find out. You are surprised to find out that she's pregnant. Right? That's suddenly on the table. Yeah. You're going to be a grandfather. That's oh, wow. weird. Didn't uh, I mentioned that a couple weeks ago? Yeah, you did. I just forgot. Yeah. So and that and that the father of the child is dead or whatever it is. But oh. yeah. So so there's this whole drama going on over there. Yeah. But I sat there and I went, okay, what's interesting for Dan? I know Dan is a person. Dan is a family man. Yeah. And so he's written this thing about going to find my daughter. Dan has two daughters, right? I'm sitting there going, okay, what is going to make this even more vulnerable because she's a grown woman? Now I'm going to bring in a child because Dan's kids are young. Yeah. Let's make this personal because I know who he I, is. I'm going to openly weep at the table one of these days. Just so you, <laughs> like, I don't know what it was. Like, and, and other people who have young kids, new kids, will probably attest to this as well in the comments. Like, you could grow up and be like, I, I don't want to say the word heartless, but like seeing you be kids cynical. get... Yeah, you could be cynical. Like seeing kids get harmed and stuff like that in media, you're just like, yeah, whatever. I cannot handle a child crying on a TV show now. Do not do not watch the remake of Pet Cemetery coming out right now. I'm telling you, you're gonna have a bad time. Oh no, I I'm well aware, but I also love Stephen King, so I'm going to watch it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so anyway. Anyway. Okay, so uh that's it for the episode. So as we close, I just want to ask you guys one last question. I want you guys to tell me one example each. When did a player obviously break from their meta knowledge and apply character-driven choices in the game? Are we rolling for this or No, Adam, go ahead. You go uh, first. okay. Um when they broke from their meta knowledge and they committed to a character choice, um one of the single best instances that I can think of right off the top of my head was um, Aerith. So shout out to Jess on this one we, when we played with. You mentioned this briefly that she went off to go be a vampire, potentially. Yeah. We were playing Curse of Strahd and she got, she had the ability. Strahd was replacing one of his wives with Aerith. And um, and so he tried to seduce her and, and get her to come over into his castle and split her from the party for what? Six sessions? She was off doing her own thing. And she had the opportunity to go do this. She knew that she wasn't going to be battling. Her ranger wasn't going to be using a bow. She was going to be in heavy role play with a little bit of exploration. The end. And she said, you know, I as a player am not 100% on, on going for this. I want to use my hunter's mark. I want to summon animals. I want to, I want to have this, this fun, this yeah. mechanical fun that I signed up for. But my character would totally go undercover. Mm -hmm. And be a spy and work from the inside to help it so that when the main forces assault um, Castle Ravenloft, they're going to have an ally on the inside. Exactly, yeah. So when she got turned, uh, she got bitten first and she turned into a, uh, a, a vampire. Vampire spawn. A vampire spawn. Um, she enjoyed the mechanics of it for about a session and then said, okay, what can I do with this from a storytelling perspective? What can I do with this that honors the character? And what can I do? My character's motivation is to take down Strahd. My motivation is to show up and shoot a bow. I'm going to make the commitment to my character's motivation. And we'll see how this plays out. And still to this day, 
We talked about how that was such a gutsy, ballsy move. And she got to play some NPCs and stuff in the meantime. But it was so eye-opening for me as another player around the table to say, you know what, you sacrificed a lot to be able to have this moment on your character's behalf. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. that's my answer. Awesome. Mine is a little bit more recent. I I love that, actually, just touching on that when Jess did that. I thought that was phenomenal. It was a really big part of the campaign. Mine is more recent from our... It's from our current campaign, but it really stood out to me. Is Akra, our black dragonborn necromancer. Her very quick 10-second backstory on her. Her whole mission in life is to learn the secret of eternal life so that she can raise armies for Tiamat to cleanse the world because she honestly believes that that is the right thing that needs to happen for yeah. the world. And she, so she's looking for the Necronomicon. She got one half, your character down, Loki found the other half and read it, which means that he will die if somebody else reads it. And knowing this player very well, as her character, she looked at you and said, you mean you took that from me knowing that that was my life's mission was to find that and that is the most important thing to me in the world. Right after... Her, her only friend in the world was just killed because of a mistake that she made. Oh, yeah. Lockie's going to eat it. And Lockie hard. said, yes. And I know how this person works in real life. And she looked at you, paused, and went, okay. And I thought, he's not going to last very long. My blood went cold. Like, it was a terrifying moment. As a DM, I sat back and went, oh, oh my God, what have I done? But that, <laughs> I tempted these two characters. Now they're going to... That's right. That was, oh, what but, have I done? <laughs> but for, from a player perspective, potentially a very risky move because we created here a conflict. It's more of a cold war at this point. Yeah. But for the character to be true to the character, she made that decision, and I thought it was the, the right decision for the character, exactly like what Jess did with Aaron. The thing that keeps on happening uh, with... Acra's backstory is uh, this whole focus of her being, you know, uh, part of the Dragon Queen's army, like raising an army for her and all that other stuff. Um, Rezu, the guy we're going to go back to, is a 300 and something year old veteran of a war against Tiamat specifically. But but she thinks he's wrong. Oh, she doesn't think and, she's a bad guy. And, guys, from a DM perspective, please understand how giddy I am because you guys as players came up with this. And Akra's mission right now is to help bring Rezu back from being turned to stone. Yeah. yeah. And to introduce probably her mortal enemy into the realm of existing again. Phenomenal. For, and and I didn't I didn't set this up. Nope. You guys have done this by committing to your characters. Yeah. And uh, Adam gets a giggle because every single time uh, uh, Akram mentions the fact that she's got this Tiamat thing. I twitch because I can't get Rezu out of my head, oh, and I like, just, I just go. Uh. <laughs> this is like the prequel. This would be like Sauron raising Elrond, only to discover that they hate each other. Or yeah, something. it's like it, it's so important though, just to tie it all back though to what Dan was saying before. We as players around the table. Didn't know this is where we were going to end No, up. no, no, not at the all. The only way that we got to these intensely interesting to us at the very least, everyone else has probably turned off the podcast by now, <laughs> but it's interesting to us and it's so rewarding emotionally to us because this is a surprise. Even to me as a DM, I didn't set that up. At no point did I say, I'm going to have a silver dragonborn and a black dragonborn go toe to toe. It has never once occurred to me. It has just lined up that that is probably where we're going to head at some point in the future. And yeah. that is that is massive. And so to have this happen, I, I sit back and I go, how do we get here? And it's because you have committed to the players 
or to the characters that you're playing and you have committed to their wants and needs and their motivations and their objectives instead of your own. Mm -hmm. And that is so very, very, very important um, to see. I come from an acting background where that's the only thing that matters. You had a bad day. No one gives a shit. Go play Indiana Jones because you're Harrison Ford, right? Harrison Ford can go get in a car accident on the way to work. He still has to be Indiana Jones when he gets to work. Yeah. Right. So his wants and needs, his motivations and objectives, they don't matter anymore. And then when we hear about someone losing their mind as an actor, like Kristen Bale on the set of Terminator, Terminator, right? <laughs> we heard him, the actor, freaking out. Stop doing that. You're distracting me. This is, and it was about his wants and needs. And we all sat there and went, holy shit. We're not in this for the actors. We're in it for the characters. Yeah. That's what you guys around the table are doing and you don't even know it. And if we can all think a little bit more like that when we're playing either as a player or a dungeon master and think about what would, as a DM, what do my villains want? Why are the NPCs acting like this? Not every bartender needs to be friendly. Not every barmaid needs to just willingly go sleep with the bard. Right? Like, it doesn't have to be that way. Really think about why. And when you get that answer, think about why that's the answer. Yeah. And when you think of that answer, think about why that's the answer. Mm -hmm. Because keep digging for more roots until you come up with a satisfactory uh, reason to be able to understand where this character comes from and then honor that. Exactly. And then you get to where we are with the, the Dragonborn face-off. And I can't wait till the next campaign, which will undoubtedly be entitled Civil War. And we got to choose sides. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait for that. But that's it for us that's today. It. Uh have a good one, and it's Mimic. Outro music. We're out. Thank you for listening to It's a Mimic. Check us out online at itsamimic.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have questions you would like answered by the guys on the show? Send them an email to itsamimic at gmail.com. Tune in every Tuesday for more.